if you're just kind of on like the down low not drinking and you're not willing to like bring anyone else into your decision to not drink, then it might be harder for them to support you. Um, So what may come off as a casual remark from someone you would hear in a different way, right? Other, right. But if you had told them, hey, I'm going to try to cut back, um, can you support me in this? Then it might reframe the whole entire experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Advice Not Given podcast. Each week, we share unfiltered, truth-telling conversations between two friends. You're invited to eavesdrop as we give each other the advice you didn't ask for, but wish you did. We're your hosts, Kelly Artis and Claire Wood of Millspo Gurus, and this is Advice Not Given. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Advice Not Given podcast. We are at episode 21, New Year's Eve, at the end of another year, and we are finishing up today part three in a three-part series on taking back some control over habits and parts of our lives that we can take control of, and um, thereby hopefully giving us uh, more clarity, more wellness, better health, um, and just an overall improved outlook on life. We talked first about moving more and eating better. And today we are going to talk about a very loaded topic, in my opinion, drinking less. And we're not just talking about like coffee. We're tackling alcohol today. And um, we really got, well, to back up, Kelly and I have had several offline conversations about this over the last couple of years, just sharing some personal stories and some issues we have seen in our military culture and with friends that all center around this very slippery slope of alcohol use and abuse. And we finally, what kind of finally pushed us over the edge to make this into an episode was earlier in December, Military Families Magazine published a piece about an Air Force wife, Allison Evans, who has now celebrated 1,000 days of sobriety. And again, it just reopened up the conversation for Kelly and I. And we thought, you know, let's tie this in with our our overall self-improvement scheme for the end of the month and end of the year. Um, And let's just go for it. So Kelly, what are some of your thoughts or do you want to give our disclaimers about kind of partly why we're afraid to talk about this? Oh, yeah. I mean, yes. So, okay. So here's the deal. Claire and I kind of represent two different camps, right? And uh, we're both coming at and approaching this conversation uh, from a place of love and acceptance. (laughs) So um, I enjoy a really good glass of wine and I enjoy them frequently. Um, And I don't want to come out I'm, I'm going to try to be really cognizant and I will tell you guys just straight up, um, imposter syndrome city. Like if you hear me say like, I don't have a problem, I hear how that sounds. <laughs> so I know that everyone's definition of problematic alcohol use is going to vary and be different. Um, my use or part, you know, my, the level at which I imbibe may be, um, perceived as too much by some and maybe perceived as hardly anything by others. Um, I am cognizant of the spectrum that is out there. I do tend to drink socially. Um, I try not to drink at all during the week unless it's like an event or, you know, some sort of function. Um, But I also really, really, really understand that a lot of people struggle um, with either feeling out of place at events or because they all seem to revolve around alcohol um, or, struggle with being able to moderate. And uh, yeah, so anyway, disclaimer for me is 
Uh, ooh, what is my disclaimer? I don't know. Don't judge me, I guess, is what I'm going to say. No, <laughs> but I'm going to try to represent – I'm going to try to represent folks who um, don't abstain from alcohol in a way that is hopefully helpful <laughs> and clear. And I feel like the baggage I bring to this or my fear of even speaking about it is as someone who is a teetotaler and absolutely drinks zero alcohol – my fear is that I don't get a say because it tends to come across as judgmental. And um, that's the last thing I want to come across as um, for me personally, just a kind of a backstory of why I don't. I really grew up in a household that for religious reasons abstained. And as I got older and kind of like peeled back the layers of that, like to that today, I don't have any really religious reasons why I don't do it. It's more social and psychological there's some family history with abuse, and um, I just know in my own tendencies to overindulge in things, um, even things like shopping and spending and other compulsive behaviors. For me, it's just something I have to stay away from completely. So that's kind of like why I don't. But yeah, I just always feel like, well, I shouldn't say anything or I don't know. Like to me, mm-hmm. oftentimes abstainers end up getting right or wrong, they end up kind of getting labeled as like, well, you don't drink, so you must be judging those who do. Nope, not at all. You do you. Okay, Claire, I've literally said the words, I don't trust people that don't drink. Right. Like, I'm, that's full admission. And I'll tell you why. Because while the rest of us are getting tipsy and saying things we shouldn't, <laughs> those of those, and listen, I've had very long periods of time where I didn't drink and attended all the parties. I mean, I've right. had two babies. So <laughs> I have been the person like over, like eavesdropping on all the conversations. And I have the mental clarity to remember the conversation. <laughs> So that I think is unsettling to have like two different types of people in the same room, right? right. Cuz you never know, like if you if you're not comfortable with the person or the crowd, you're you might have a tendency to be a little on edge or on guard uh, around folks like that. And I just want to say for the record, um, the only time Claire and I hung out in person (laughs) was in DC and we um, had a whole house full of really awesome, amazing people. And, you know, Claire was very quick to say like, listen, I'm not going to drink, but I still want to have fun with you guys. Like, so we had wine and had a great evening of conversation. I never once felt uncomfortable with Claire there with Claire's status of not drinking, right? Right. Like I think sometimes people force those who decide not to drink at social events. Like, why are you not drinking? What's your problem? Like, do you have a problem? Like, and it's this whole, you know, drawn out thing, but we had a fantastic time. I hope you had a fun time. You might've gotten annoyed. You know, I remember, I think I had bought, you and I had gone to Trader Joe's that day to like get snacks and stuff for the house. And I bought a big giant water bottle. And I think y'all were draining your wine bottles and I was draining my water bottle and I probably just had to get up and go to the bathroom a ton because of all the water. But um, Yeah. yeah, to your point, you know, and we'll get into a little bit more like of a, a focused idea of how we see this playing out in military culture. But I know we in certain times um, since we've lived here, like our neighborhood has done a lot of like adult um, out by the bonfire on the weekends. And most everybody out there is drinking, but we don't want to be excluded from that. And so we bring, I'll bring my LaCroix or Ryan will bring a cup of hot tea if it's cold outside. Mm-hmm. And so like we don't want to be excluded from fun just because we're not drinking, um, just as those who are maybe feeling like, oh, well, you know, party poopers, here they come. But we're fun. We love to have fun. We just personally don't drink alcohol, you know, as part of it. Right. 
So in our military culture, and we definitely always want this podcast to be accessible to everyone, but we do want to focus just today's, um, a little bit of today's talk about that. Um, I was telling Kelly, I had seen an article that out of like, I don't know, all the professions that had been um, included in this survey about days per year that they drink, um, military the military profession is the number one profession of people who mm. like drink the most days out of the year. I think the average is somewhere like 91 days and military service members drink a hundred, what I tell you, 130 days a year. Yeah. I think yeah, minors is like the second, close second minors are the second highest profession. So what does that look like, Kelly? Like in your experience, like in the military culture, We'll first maybe just start with like service member culture and then we can get into like the spouse culture and the mommy wine culture. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, you know, not being a service member, I I can only speak to what I observe, but um, I think that it's just pressure. Um, So, okay. Case in point, there is a military school in a town in South Carolina that was (laughs) adjacent to our school and the, the students weren't allowed to leave campus or have alcohol on campus. So they were allowed to leave on Wednesday evenings until a certain, like 10 o'clock or something. And they were allowed to leave on the weekends if they had earned the privilege of being able to like spend the night off campus. So essentially what they did was teach these kids how to binge drink. Right. Really. Um, they're trying to cram it all in. Like from the moment they left the gate, you know, they were already trying to party and they're, cause they're kids, they're having fun. Whereas like the kids at my school, uh, we had access alcohol whenever we wanted. So it wasn't as big of a thing. Like it wasn't like, oh my God, let's party. Like it was like, eh, I'm going to go to bed tonight or I have an exam on Monday. I should probably you're, study. Let me just clarify. You know? You're referring to people who are 21 and of drinking age, right? Sure. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so yes. Um, yeah. When my babies listen to this podcast when they're older, they're going to be like, what? Um, yeah. But I don't know. It was a little... Um, I feel like there's some similarities there. Okay, so you take people who are deploying or who are working long hours and who just want to find some sort of like pressure release valve uh, for some of the stress or to be able to make connections, all right? Think about how often we move and how hard it is to make connections and how hard it is to do the small talk thing, right? right? Okay, so that's one That's one that's a big one for me. Like I hate small talk, but if I can have like, it's almost even just like a, a textile thing or tactile thing, like to hold a glass of wine or a glass of water, I mean, whatever, but to hold something is, is almost like a security blanket, right? For me. And then just, you know, a couple of sips of wine, it's like, okay, cool. Like I can do small talk now, which is ridiculous. But I think it's true for a lot of people. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. cling to that and say like, well, I don't know how to navigate making these relationships. So I'm going to I'm gonna venture out and say that I would assume that alcohol use among service members is probably directly correlated with um, uh, trying to blow off steam. Okay. They have really hard jobs. They work really long hours um, trying to, you know, be social and enjoy time. Like with ceremonial things, there are alcohol yeah. portions. Hmm. I, mean, I, don't, I think you'll have to like – correct me on this or fact check me on this, but I know like at a lot of military balls, they will have a grog, which is ceremonial for like yeah. different units. They pour in different alcohols and mix it all together. And I know that's not like a sponsored activity, but like it's there. And so there's the, there's oh, the celebration the culture. Yeah. There's a, a culture of celebration too. I think that often involves alcohol or survival. Like we, we survived this deployment, like cheers, bottoms up kind of. 
Totally. Oh my God. Yeah. And like pouring one out, right. For, Mm -hmm. for service members that are no longer with us. And I mean, there's dedication. I, this is, I've never really given that like ceremony part much thought actually. Um, is that unique? It must be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For other professions, I guess, you know, police officers probably do the same thing. I would assume. Um, I would also probably assume that their alcohol use is on par. Um, I know divorce rates are probably up there kind of comparable too, just because of the demands of the job. I mean, this isn't like a cushy Silicon Valley, like Google office with ping pong tables and stuff. I mean, it's like (laughs) not, listen, I love y'all that work at Google, but (laughs) it's a totally different kind of vibe. Um, I don't know if I feel as stressed with the work that I do as Andrew does. I mean, of course I don't, but I get byproduct and secondary stress from his job. Right. Um, which is probably unique to the military as well. So you've got military family stressors uh, that are kind of like, you know, secondhand exposure to all right. of the stuff that they're going through. And we're not even touching on mental health uh, yet concerns and, <laughs> right. and stuff. Obviously, you guys, we know that's a whole nother kind of right. realm. Um, I think we're going to try to stay like pretty surface with with this conversation, yes. but, um, well, you bring up about yeah. like police, um, police officers and their high divorce rates. And you mentioned that it was probably due to like the stress of the job, but like, I would say in our situation in military life, like, and I can't tell like details, Ryan doesn't even tell me details, but as a chaplain, he sees a lot and does a lot of counseling. And I would mm-hmm. tell you that a high, high number of the counselings he did, does, it, it traces back to alcohol in some way. Mm-hmm. alcohol abuse and, you know, over imbibing that leads to infidelity <laughs> that leads to drug right. that leads to just poor, poor decision-making. Um, and maybe we're seeing, or he sees like the, the high end of it due to his job, but yeah, like there, you just can't deny that like, it's a very central piece of military mm-hmm. culture for service yeah, members and families. It's pervasive. Um, and it's just, it's so hard too, because it's like, you can't, you can't take one like heels in stance, like alcohol is bad, right? right? <laughs> you know, you just, you really can't. Um, that's not the way our country is founded. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like all the way back to prohibition, like that didn't work. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, uh, it's hard. So I guess the the question is just how to how to call some awareness to it, put some healthy boundaries in place um, and understanding your own personal limits, because that's all you can control is you, yourself and I. So, okay, let's then let's move on into talking about um, cert- military service member spouses and the drinking culture mm-hmm. there. We've talked a little bit about, you know, just on the job. But what about the culture of military spouses? How pervasive is that? And is there a problem? Do we see patterns like what has been your experience, Kelly, with just in general, military spouses and alcohol. So I don't know if we're like, I mean, who knows? I have no statistics to back anything that I say up. My own perception of um, sort of our community is that we're probably not much different than civilian uh, folks, you know, our counterparts. True. Um, when it comes to, you know, just social drinking and events and parties and how we, you know, tie relaxation and self-care to a nice big glass of wine or, you know, being stressed about your kids, you know, and, and all that or whatever. I mean, I think that that's pretty normal. I think what's different is again, is the stress that we deal with is exacerbated or exacerbates the problem or a potential problem if there's a tendency there to overindulge. Um, So most of the functions, 
you know, like sponsored functions usually typically don't have alcohol. Um, I went to a thing a couple of weeks ago and there was a punch served, which again was, <laughs> I was telling Claire, like I drank the punch. It was non-alcoholic. I mean, it was funny. I think a couple of ladies actually thought there was alcohol in it because I heard someone turn it down. I was like, there's nothing in this. Like <laughs> it was not, it was not uh, something she needed to be worried about. But um, even having it, like there's almost like a behavioral sort of like relaxation that comes with even a mocktail, right? Like it's, it's fancy, first of all. I mean, that, we've always done fancy drinks. My grandma had punch, you know, on the Christmas table. Like that's a thing. That's what you do. It didn't have alcohol in it, right. but it's nice to have a fancy drink. So everything that we do kind of has that layer of hospitality to it. But now it's like, okay, well, will there be wine? I was told there'd be wine. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, um, there are even like outings, like the paint and sips, you know, like that's, it's pretty much only a valid option for a social event or a social engagement if there's wine involved. Right. I made drinks the other night and she had wine. Now, listen, I was the first one to have a glass of wine. I thought that was lovely. Just, you know, a nice, a nice wine. You know, we're not chugging like box wine, that, no shade on box wine, but it wasn't like we were, you know, draining a bladder of Franzia. It was like a nice glass of wine to accompany a nice experience with um, folks that was festive and fun. Um, so I think that's pretty much a constant. It's a, it's a standard. It's also a really great gift, right? Like you can buy someone that you don't know how to shop for. All you need to know is red or white, right? What their preference is. So you can buy someone a nice bottle of wine. My doormat right now says, hope you brought wine. Um, so I think it's just kind of been embraced as like, as a norm, as a right. norm. Um, the problem I think maybe with that is when we become non-inclusive of folks that don't drink and right. also obviously when it becomes a problem or a crutch for dealing with something else. Right. And I'm going to speak in generalities here, but I have just seen in our years, um, I have seen people who due to stress have occasionally mixed alcohol with sleep aids. I have seen mm-hmm. um, alcohol sangrias and wine starting at, you know, three fifteen, waiting on the kids to get off the bus Um, I have seen a lot of just quite honestly, like really like embarrassing behavior out of people like at balls and functions who have like started way too Mm -hmm. early on an empty stomach with alcohol. Um, so like I've seen a lot of these abuses of it and because I am such a black and white person, I'm curious, like what's the gray area? What's the, Mm -hmm. what's the cause of like you feeling like you need to take, start taking the edge off of your day at three 15 um, what's the the danger of mixing alcohol with sleep aids or over imbibing when you are the sole parent at home? Like that's kind of what I'm curious to like kind of yeah. watch out is that gray area of like, ugh. and and I think for a lot of people, the, the hard thing is people who are in that gray area sometimes don't realize when it's crossed over into something right. more or something dangerous or right. threatening. Yeah, because it's always a creep. I mean, it's never like a well. <sighs> I I have to be, I'm trying to, not to mince words, like never is a strong word, right? right. But um, I think, I know personally, all right, I'll speak just to my own personal experience. Um, on weekends or trips, 315 is not a problem for me. Um, yep, let's have a cocktail. I'd love a margarita at 315. <laughs> That's great. That sounds great. Um, I also, though, have to be really realistic with myself about like, What's going to cause me the headache the next day, right? Also, who's in charge of the kids? But I think there's a difference. Don't you think there's a difference, though, in a 315 cocktail 
when you're out of town on a vacation or a trip versus like yeah. while you're waiting for the kids to get yeah. off the bus on a yeah. Tuesday. Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, I've, yeah, that would be a limit for me. That to me would be a red flag personally. Um, and again, just from being a responsible adult, that's right. just not a good idea. Um, right. Also, not being able to drive to the hospital if you had to, right? right. Like if something went down. Um, mm, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's tricky. And I have to always kind of keep that in mind. Like, yes, you need a DD. And yes, we have Uber now. And yes, I Uber literally everywhere. <laughs> if I have like a glass of wine somewhere, we I'm going to Uber. Uber because- we don't, literally, we do not have Uber where I live. Like oh. we're in such, so there's yeah. like a, that's a whole thing too, is like the availability and accessibility of options to get home or yeah. to get somewhere. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's actually, that's a good point. So I grew up in a town. Well, first of all, Uber didn't exist when I was, a, well, when I was younger, let's just say that. Or when I went home from when I was a grown up in college. Right. <laughs> um, but I will tell you in my little rural town, and actually I didn't get in any trouble in high school. I was too scared of my parents for that. Um, and like you, I grew up in a house without alcohol at all. Um, so, that wasn't available to me as an option. That was like, we will kill you if we catch you right. drinking kind of thing. And I was pretty scared of that. So I stayed, I stayed pretty uh, clean in high school. But um, in the town that I grew up in, there was a really unhealthy uh, relationship with alcohol. Hmm. It wasn't um, a super affluent place. I mean, you know, everybody there wasn't like impoverished, but we weren't, I mean, it's a mountain town. Like, you know, right. we had a Walmart that was fancy. Um, we had to drive a long time to get anywhere. It sounds a lot like where you live now, Claire, Maybe. actually. Um, there was a college nearby. We were right by Clemson. So there were always parties. There was always something to get into, some trouble to be had. Um, motorcycles were a fun thing that everyone loved for some reason. Um, and, and I see where this is going. Alcohol, motorcycles, yeah. not really mixing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it really, tragically, it didn't. Um, and I'll tell you, like, I, so when I first met Andrew, so Andrew grew up in New York, had a totally different upbringing than me, um, super you know, healthy. Like, I'm not trying to, it was just different. You know, he grew up in a city where you don't drive anywhere, but there was a real prevalence of drunk driving in my town, mm-hmm. especially amongst the kids. Right. There were no cabs to get you home, like at all. I remember, <laughs> this is embarrassing. My mom, oh my gosh, I hope they don't hear this. Um, we went home as adults one year for Thanksgiving and went to this little bar, you know, cons- you know, of age, whatever. We drank too much, obviously, and needed to get home. And we're like, well, we're not driving. Like nobody here is driving. Um, so I'm like, my friend and I, one, this one guy and I were calling all the cabs we could think of and uh, no one would come pick us up because there were like three cabs in the whole town and nobody was working. It's like 1.30. Right. And my friend and I were like, we're walking home. It's five miles. We could be there in a couple hours at this rate. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's no. hilly. It's mountains. We're, but that was our option. Like I'm like, well, we're, we're going to walk home because what are we going to do? Like call somebody and wake us up. You know, we finally worked out a ride and everything. But it was just like, what do people do? This is why people say, nah, screw it. I'm going to drive home. Right. Like that, because there is no other option, which is really scary. Um, Do you know what's interesting? I'm just kind of thinking pairing with this is, and this may be true of other places, but while we've been here at Fort Polk, they have opened and it's since caught fire and burnt down, but they have opened a bar on post connected with the bowling alley. I think as a means of it's over near the barracks. And I think in my mind, the thought was if we have it here where they can walk to it, then we're yeah. decreasing the people going to the strip clubs and yeah. the bars out right outside the gate. So, yeah. but then, yeah. like I say, no, it, burnt, I, it burnt down about a month after it was I'm open. Forced so. it, did it. <laughs> Hashtag uh, faulty wiring. 
<laughs> so that night in particular, Andrew was deployed and I was stressed and didn't realize how stressed I was. Also, I'm on Enneagram 5. So here we're going to talk about self-awareness again, you guys. I know that in stress, I go to 7. And what is the 7? The seven's the enthusiast. Yeah. Um, right. Which will overindulge in things. So I have now learned, okay, if I'm stressed, I probably don't need to have like gobs of alcohol in the house or I probably don't need to do that party because how am I getting home? Also, I'm the only one here, right? right. So if I needed to drive my kids to the house, so these are all things that I have to just tuck away in the back of my mind and set really clear visible limits right? Um, so that I never encroach on that and A, put my family's safety at risk and also B, like rock my mental stability because there's a spiral that happens. Um you know, you drink too much, you have fun in the moment, sure. But then not only are you hung over the next day, but then you're rolling through everything you said, everything you think you remember that you did, everything is amplified, every look, every sideways glance from someone, every insecurity, every vulnerability is like blown completely out of proportion. And then you're like, feeling like garbage about yourself. Like, I can't even, you know, do this. And that could spiral into so many things. So just to head all of that off, Right. You know, I just, again, I set some limits. Like, okay. well, Which is to say, whether it's drinking or anything, like any compulsive behavior, anything that we do that's not great for us can lead to that same shame cycle, right? Whether it's eating yeah. two cartons of ice cream or yeah. gambling or yeah. fill in the blank, right? Shopping, whatever. Um, so I think that's kind of where we're wanting to kind of end up here, which is to say, like, there are all kinds of things that we could get ourselves in trouble with. Why are we doing it and what can we do to curb it or kind of clean it up, tighten it up, take back some control over it? And so um, I think we can kind of probably generally say that the reason many people drink alcohol, I'll tell you what I think and then you tell me what what you think. I mean, I think a lot of people, it's fun. It's relaxing. It takes the edge off. Deeper than that, I think a lot of people do it to numb pain. I think they do it to numb discomfort. But it's when it goes too far that it becomes a problem. So would you agree or disagree with those reasons or add to them or say? I would add to them. There's a whole spectrum of uh, just from an Epicure's point of view. Like I really love a good wine tasting. Like I actually enjoy the flavors and the taste. Um, I love a really good like artisanal cocktail. Mm -hmm. Um, I had the coolest beverage the other day at this little golf place. It's like a... (laughs) It's a anyway, it, it's like an indoor golf place. And randomly they have like this insane mixologist and he crafted this be- it was a piece of art. I mean, it was these like gin infused vodkas and he froze a tea, some sort of exotic tea into these tea tiny little ice cubes. He poured some some kind of syrup on it that had this chemical reaction. It was it was an experience. Like a work of art. So like <laughs> Yeah, I think there's, you know, it it really wasn't that strong. You would have had to drink like four or five of them to get a buzz. So I don't think that's, you know, it's not an issue of, um, you know, indulging in that way. I think it was just beautiful to partake in. And we crafted a whole event around the beverage. Again, we crafted an event around a beverage, but um, it was a a cool experience. So I think, yeah, there's there's always a line that you're going to cross, right? You could, but again, I'll go back to you could put the same, you'd say the same thing about, a sweet treat, right? Like it's beautiful to see rolled totally. ice cream, but if you eat three or four of those, it's not going to be good for you. So, absolutely, yes, yeah. it's expensive and cal- and that's one thing too with me and the drinks is calories, man. Right? Like I drink beer, 
you know, when I was younger, like, ooh, no, don't get a, don't put a beer anywhere near me. I just don't want to deal with the calories. Right. Like, <laughs> Which harkens back to our yeah. episode 19 yeah. on eating better. Right. 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 Yeah. It's not worth it for me. Like, no, mm-mm, I'm not doing that. Or I've, I have definitely made the choice of, you know, cookies or like macaroons or something at a thing or the glass of wine. Cause I know that that's a calorie exchange. Right. Um, I hate to micromanage in that way, but I, I it's a, it's a choice. It's a conscious yeah. thought, you know, like, yeah. mm, no, I'm gonna go with this drink instead. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey friends, I wanted to take a quick break to tell you about another project that Claire and I have poured our hearts into. You see, we met a few years ago online. I know, it's crazy. We bonded over the fact that we were in similar phases in our lives, we were both married to military service members, and we both found the same tool to be instrumental in helping us work through understanding our experience in a more healthy way. So... Claire being a teacher and me being, well, a tinkerer. We put our heads together and created a course. Well, we do have a very extensive list of some things we want to share as advice. But before we get to that, we do want to go back to the advice from episode 19 on eating better and check in with that. Um, For my advice to myself, I said I was going to clean up my drinks, which was my coffee. I was going to eliminate avoid soda, or at least minimize it, and switch to drinking hot tea in the afternoon. So our course is called the Becoming Your Own Guru. It didn't have calories in it. It So I can tell you that I have taken a step down and a step away from my unhealthy peppermint mocha and Italian sweet cream to just regular cream with no sugar, no sweetener. And my goal is going forward in the new year to go black, black coffee on black. And then for soda, I'm really, really trying hard to say none. But again, for that particular habit, I've tried to just back down. And I'm saying two a week because every now and then I think a treat is Okay, in moderation, right? But I do think that even just like reducing that has helped. And I know for me, when I'm drinking a lot of soda, I feel really bloated. So that's been good. And then I'm just rocking on with my tea. And in fact, we got a new water kettle and it boils the water even hotter and faster. So um, I enjoy making my tea. So what about you, Kelly? What was your advice? Yeah. Um, So mine was to clean out my pantry, which I am doing because... Sadly, and I'll admit this to you guys, it's not because I set that out as advice for myself uh, last episode. It is because I may have a visitor (laughs) in my pantry. So um, we're cleaning out to make sure that there are no little nibble holes in any sort of boxes or containers. Um, 
also teaching the kids how to properly seal things because they have now started to take it upon themselves to go into the pantry. Uh, my daughter pointed out some sandwich meat the other day that had been expired for and not in the pantry in the fridge. Okay, I was going to say, <laughs> please tell me that was in your refrigerator, not your pantry. <laughs> no, she's. They've been making their own lunches, you guys, because you know yeah. hashtag deployment. Um, they got sick of eating the school lunch, and I usually don't feed anyway. They're they've been eating school lunches, and uh, Hannah's like, I want to make a healthy lunch, so she pulled out all the sandwich meat, <laughs> and I didn't know this was happening, and uh, she came and told me like, mommy. <laughs> I had to throw the ham away. Aww. It was slimy and gross. Like, oh, I love you. But now she knows the check date. So she's helping me clean out the pantry. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And that's like a, just an overall health thing. You knew, you do need to check on yeah. the expiration date. Yeah. You could not like poison. Well, except stuff. for when like we had some carrot sticks and she they would had expired that day. And I'm like, Hannah, it's just sell by. It's not. Ex- yeah. She's like, no, I'm not eating. I'm like, you just don't want to eat the carrots. Like, yeah. Come on. She's using <laughs> that to her advantage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love it. I think we have had a lot of fun, you and I both just on Instagram, sharing a little bit more about our movement and our eating habits and Mm -hmm. um, really making that personal. And so we are just thrilled with some of the engagement we've had there. And we hope that it's been um, equally as inspirational to those of you who are listening and following along just to see that sometimes small daily habits can make big changes. And that's kind of where we want to end up with today's advice on alcohol Again, we're not shaming anybody for anything. Also, we are not professionals. If you have issues with alcohol that you feel like are becoming something that's maybe taking over your life, you should talk to a doctor about that. We are not professionals. But we did want to end with some advice on um, cutting back. If you want to drink less, um, maybe tonight for New Year's Eve, but definitely going forward in the new year. Um, the Department of Health from Harvard has a little list that they have put out, and we're just going to share some of the tips on that and um, leave that with you. The first tip is put it in writing. So make a list of the reasons to curtail your drinking, uh, such as feeling healthier, sleeping better, and improving your relationships. So just writing it down helps. Yeah, that's like knowing your why too, right? We talk about Mm -hmm. that a lot, your motivations. The second thing they suggest is to set a drinking goal. And I don't think that that means like, see how much you can (laughs) drink. (laughs) I think it's more of like- that six pack. (laughs) Exactly. I think the goal is more of, um, you know, what for you, what is your guideline? What is your limit? limit and then keep it there. So, and it says that, you know, if you don't know that, maybe go to like standard recommendations or talk to your doctor about that. Yep. Cool. Um, Back to writing it down. The third one is keep a diary of your drinking. So for three to four weeks, keep track of every time you have a drink. Uh, I've done this with caloric intake before Mm -hmm. just because, Um, and compare this to your goal that you have already previously set. Yeah, I love that. Diaries are good good for calories. They're good for budgets. They're good for drinking. So that's a great mm-hmm. tip. Another one is to simply not keep alcohol in the house. Um, same for mm-hmm. ice cream or things that tend yes. to. Oh, my God. Yeah, if you don't have <laughs> it at cream. home, you can't drink it, right? right? So that's a very simple and straightforward suggestion. Just don't keep it in the house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another one is to drink slowly. So sip your drink, um, which is hard with that first one. Um, you're like, especially if you're nervous, if you're at a thing and you know that you're, you have that first glass because you're nervous, um, sip on it and drink a water or something in between, like alternate. That's actually a really great. I love that tip. I was, I don't always do it, but I always try like to have that as a, as a thing that I think about like, okay, I'm going to get a water and have to drink this again, instead of bundling. <laughs> Right, right. Drink the water and then you can have the next glass of wine if you still want it. And that's actually a yeah. tip that's shared a lot for like food and nutrition. Like if you are yeah. like binge eating, like try to first like stop 
drink a glass of water, see how full you feel. And then, yeah, and you can never go wrong with too much water, right? Totally. Another tip is to simply choose some days during your week or weekend that are alcohol free. Maybe you decide that you aren't going to drink a day or two each week, or maybe try abstaining for a week or a month to see how you feel. And we didn't mention it explicitly in the episode, but we'll leave a show notes link to Sober October. It's just another way of um, kind of eliminating, much like you would in Whole30, eliminating something from your life to kind of see how you're feeling physically and emotionally. So that's a good um, add-on for choosing alcohol-free days. Yeah. And a lot of people do that in January for New Year's. And I just want to say, like, don't do it out of shame. Like, make that decision from a healthy place. Because if you make this, I'm swearing off alcohol on January 1, because you're hungover from the night before or from tonight. um, And then you don't, you fail at your goal. Like, let's say you want to go 30 days and you give in by the 15th. um, That just compounds the the shame spiral. So uh, do it consciously, intentionally. Maybe don't start with January 1 if that's not going to work out yeah. for you. Any old day. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I try not to drink during the week unless it's an event. Like in the house, I, yeah, I, that's kind of my thing. Like Monday through Thursday. <laughs> um, okay. Watch for peer pressure. It's mm, a big one. Practice ways to say no politely. You know, you don't have to give in and some people might push you. Like, why not? Especially if you're a woman. I don't know. Claire, do you, did you ever get this? Like, are you pregnant? <laughs> No. When you refuse a drink? No, not are you pregnant. I guess because of my age, people assume I'm probably not <laughs> pregnant. Um, but, but yeah, and that's a whole other thing. We're not going to dive deep into that. But there is a whole flip side of this. It's like nobody judges yeah. you or nobody says, well, why are you drinking so much? But definitely people feel like they can yeah. play like, well, why aren't you drinking? And right. so then we have to justify that. But um, yeah, so peer pressure yeah. is a thing with that. Um, the next tip is to simply keep busy. Take a walk, play mm-hmm. a sport, go out to eat, catch a movie. Um, if you're at home, try to pick up a new hobby or visit an old one like painting, playing a board game, woodworking, mm-hmm. musical instruments, any of those activities. And I think definitely those that keep your hands busy. Um, are great alternatives to drinking if it's simply something you're turning to out of boredom. Yeah, and you can plan events around that too, you guys. Like it doesn't have to just be like the only time you have people over, it doesn't have to be wine night, right? right. Like it could also be something during the day or. Yeah. Well, and I'll say I do, I do a lot of um, hosting at my house and I have just started like coffee, I'll host coffees or I have an if table yeah. and like I just make a mocktail. I have a cute little crate and barrel yeah. drink dispenser. And I just make something mm-hmm. non-alcoholic. It still feels, you know, indulgent and it's ceremonial festive. and yep. festive, but without the alcohol. Totally. Um, okay. Ask for support. That's a big um, one. Cutting down on, yeah, cutting down on your drinking may not always be easy. Let friends and families know that you need their support. Your doctor, counselor, therapist may also be able to offer some help. So yeah. I, I think there's a lot to that. And it goes back to peer pressure. Like if you're just kind of on like the down low not drinking and you're not willing to like bring anyone else into your decision to not drink, then it might be harder for them to support you. Um, So what may come off as a casual remark from someone you would hear in a different way, right? Other, but if you had told them, Hey, I'm going to try to cut back. um, Can you support me in this? Then it might reframe the whole entire experience. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great. And it brings other people into the discussion and it's an accountability piece. too. Sure. Very good. Yeah. Okay. So my last one that I'll give is guard yourself against temptation. <laughs> if that's mm-hmm. a thing, steer clear of the people and the places that may make you want to drink. So for example, if you associate drinking with a certain event, maybe at a holiday or on a vacation, 
come prepared with a plan so that you can manage those temptations. Monitor your feelings when you're worried, lonely, angry. You may be tempted to reach for a drink, but instead Mm -hmm. try to find another way to help you cope with that stress. Mm, That's good. Mm -hmm. Oh, and my screen just went to sleep. Okay. <laughs> the last one that I have is to be persistent. Uh, so it says most people who successfully cut down or stop drinking altogether do so only after several attempts. You'll probably have setbacks, but don't let them keep you from reaching your long-term goal. There's really no final endpoint as the process usually requires ongoing effort. So Yeah, I love those. And to me, no one yeah. um, tip on that list seems like super difficult to try to implement like it's a very small, but probably very helpful um, step and suggestion. So I think that that is great. Yeah. It's, it's all about framing, you know, it's like keeping, having the most healthy attitude around it. Um, And your healthy again, might be different than someone else's healthy, but just keep it in mind, be really Mm self-aware and uh, honest with yourself uh, after the fact, if you have an evening that you aren't particularly proud of, be real with yourself about it. Maybe take a break. Absolutely. Well, Kelly, why don't you um, wrap up this little series? If you have any final thoughts on our move more, eat better, drink less series, and then I will wrap us up with our goodbye wishes for 2019 and a wish for 2020. Mm Yay. Um, Yeah. So I hope you guys got something out of this. I think it's been a great opportunity for Claire and I to be kind of uh, (laughs) authentic and real with ourselves and a real, a lot bit vulnerable with you guys. Um, I think it always, again, helps to have someone that you're accountable to and somebody that can check in on you and say like, Hey, how's that working out? (laughs) Mm -hmm. That thing you said you were going to do. Um, I loved doing the move more series and, like Claire mentioned, we had some fun on our Instagram stories and it pushed me in a way that I didn't know, I didn't expect. So I actually maxed out my workout that day. It was really fun. So um, thank you all for letting us kind of uh, come at you in this way. And experiment with our own health (laughs) on social media. Yeah, no, sorry you had to see that. I definitely took my shirt off after that workout because it was like dying, couldn't breathe. So I went back and watched it later. I was like, ew, I was looking all skanky in my sports bra. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? Whatever. It is what it is. Um, So anyway, thank you all. I apologize if your little ones were scarred if they saw that. But um, yeah, we've, we've had a lot of fun with it. We hope to continue. We hope we got to jump on the New Year's stuff. Again, I'm not a fan of New Year's resolutions. So I loved doing this um, kind of in advance. So it's almost like a, a proactive sort of approach to um, just general well-being instead of like reacting on January 1st. So thanks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for visiting with us and listening in on our conversations all year. Um, Kelly and I just can't believe it sometimes that we are already at the end of another year. We're at the end of 21 episodes of this podcast, which yes! I don't know, like we just we surprise ourselves that we're still we going stuck with, it. with it, Claire. I know, I know, but we're both wow. really excited. We've done a lot of um, planning for 2020 and we're just excited to continue the conversations and the engagement with you as you listen and follow along on our social media. Um, We're just very grateful for this opportunity that we have and that we get to share. So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all the things, all the wishes, um, and we look forward to spending more time together in the coming year. Thanks for joining us this week on Advice Not Given. For resources and links to all the things mentioned in today's episode, head over to our website at millspogurus.com. That's M-I-L-S-P-O-G-U-R-U-S. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please help others find us by adding your thoughts to an iTunes review and subscribing so you never miss a show. If you're interested in being a next level supporter of our endeavors, check out our Patreon page. You can pledge as little as a dollar per episode to help us out with expenses. Think of it as eavesdropping on our coffee date, but then sending over a latte. It's a thing. Also, be sure to find us on Instagram and Facebook at Gurus, where we keep the conversation going and where you can share your advice not given. <laughs>